0: This very morning, the trumpet of God could sound and we'd all be out of here and leave this world behind. But for the for the opportunity now he's given us today, let's make sure we take full advantage of it. Good to see you here in church today. Isn't it good to be in church? I was thinking a moment ago before I walked over here, I took a few extra minutes back in the office and was praying. And no, I wasn't sleeping off being at the game late last night. I could see what some of you were thinking. No, I just took a few extra moments to pray and... I was thinking about, you know, sometimes we we get tunnel vision and we look at this place as church, and it's great that we, we can call it church and be a part of the church, but you know, when we come to church, we're coming to our father's house. Think about that. Kind of changes perspective a little bit, doesn't it? When I'm not just having to go to church, I'm going to my father's house. Glad to have my mom and dad here this morning, and uh, even though I live closer to them than I did a few months ago, I still don't get to their house as often uh, as I would like to because the schedule's kind of full, but boy, I look forward to going home to mom and dad's house, don't you? I look forward to going and spending time there. It's not something I get uncomfortable about. matter of fact, I, when I walk in the house, I go open the fridge like I still live there. I walk in, plop down, put my feet up on the coffee table. Now, I don't want you to do that this morning, okay? Don't, don't prop your feet up on the, the seat in front of you, okay? It's in the movie theater, and the people in front of you, they still have a flesh tendency, and they might punch you in the nose. So we don't want to get that comfortable, but it's good to be able to come to our Father's house, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad I fit in here. I'm glad I feel like I belong here. I told my wife yesterday, "You're going to hear a lot about my ball game experiences yesterday." And for the guys that are behind me, don't worry, guys. I won't tell any secrets. What happened in Baton Rouge will stay in Baton Rouge between us. But give you some illustrations this morning about our, our day yesterday. My first LSU ball game. I've never been to one, and what an experience that was. And we had to walk through the tailgating area to get to where we were going to listen to the band warm up and. I'm just going to put it this way. There were a lot of people there soaking up the experience. (laughs) Soaking it up, literally. And uh, we were walking through there, and man, it was they had stuff cooking and grilling, man, it smelled good, and certain areas didn't smell as good as the other areas, and there were a lot of people taking full advantage of the festive atmosphere and soaking up the, uh, the event that was there that day. And as we walked through there, in that one particular area of the tailgating, I looked at my wife, and I said, you think they can tell we don't belong here? You know, you feel like as a Christian, when you're walking through an area that may not be as Christian as you would like it to be, you kind of feel like everybody can spot you. We were all dressed in our LSU stuff, and I, you know, I don't know that they could tell it, but I, boy, I didn't feel real comfortable in that tailgating here. I didn't feel like quite, you know, that it was somewhere that I fit in very well. But I want you to know, I'm glad that I don't feel that way here today. I come to God's house. I get around my brothers and sisters in Christ and part of the family of God and the house of of God and my father's house. I I feel like I belong here and a part of this, and I hope you do. And if you don't, I hope you will before you leave here today. We kind of have a quota that if you're visiting here today, you're supposed to at least get five handshakes. So if you didn't get your hand shook five times, you come let us know, and we'll get with the quality control department on that, all right? It is good to see you here today. I hope you've looked forward to what God has planned for us. And uh, let's go ahead and open his word this morning. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 2, actually, chapter 1 and chapter 2, <clears throat> if you don't mind. When you get there, let's stand if you can. If you can't, just follow along with us. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter number 1. And we're going to pick up in verse number 1. We're going to read down through about verse number 3. And we're going to read over in chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3 as well there. Nehemiah chapter 1. And let's pick up in verse number one, right after the book of Ezra, Nehemiah chapter one. Let's look at verse number one. The Bible says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, Hananiah, one of my brethren, came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. Now Nehemiah is now the cupbearer in the king's palace after they were taken to captivity, and he's asked some people from back home in Jerusalem how things are. Verse number 3, they give him this report. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, The gates thereof are burned with fire. Let's go ahead and read verse 4. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king, I had not been before time sad in his presence. So Nehemiah has received this tragic word of how things are back home and his countenance is sad. And the Bible says he had not been been sad in the presence of the king before. Verse number 2, the Bible says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid... Verse 3, the Bible says, And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Let's just stop there. We'll read more later. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of Nehemiah. And Lord, I pray we would take this living example, uh, Lord, and glean from it today. Lord, I pray that your will would be accomplished in all of our lives. Lord, I know that you desire the lost be saved today, so we pray that your Holy Spirit would make that known to them and they would come and trust you today as Savior. Father, I pray for the saved, our hearts would be stirred for your will and the work that you've called us here to. And for all that you do today, we'll thank you and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I um, I try not to be out late on Saturdays, And I don't recommend you be out late on Saturdays either uh, because you need to be prepared for Sundays. And I had never been to an LSU game before, and they're always on Saturday. Most of the time they're on Saturday. And so we decided to go down yesterday. It was in Bat Rouge, had a wonderful time, had a good game down there, and had a few tense moments. And uh, we parked 1.8 miles from the stadium because that was the only place we could find a, a parking lot. Uh, or a parking grass. I don't know if it was a lot, but it was a parking grass is where we found a park and but the Heath did a magnificent job of maneuvering our vehicle through the mob and getting us parked and getting us home safely. And, um, as we parked there, you know, we had a walk after the game was over, the game started at seven, about four hours after 11 o'clock, we left the stadium, had to walk 1.8 miles back to our car. And by the time we got back to the car, we went back to Brother Heath and uh, Brother Brent's mom and dad's house to get our car and didn't get home till about 2.30 this morning. I don't recommend that on a normal basis. Okay. Don't stay out till 2.30 in the morning, especially when it's on a, on a Saturday night, but this morning I found, uh, I found that one of the most troubling things was occurring in my body and in my mind this morning. I was having trouble being motivated to get out of bed. Now, I don't know if you ever have that problem, but every once in a while I will have that problem of being motivated to get out of bed and go do what I know that I'm supposed to do. Sometimes we have trouble being motivated going to work. Sometimes we have trouble being motivated going to school. Sometimes we have trouble being motivated just to take out the garbage. But I think motivation is probably something we all deal with from time to time. But this morning I want to talk about probably one of the most difficult things we're motivated to do. When you think about life and all the things we have to do, I already have a schedule tomorrow. Siri was kind enough to go ahead and give me my reminders for tomorrow at 9 o'clock this morning. So as I'm sitting there studying, getting ready for today, she's reminding me of what I have to do tomorrow. I appreciate that about her. She's so diligent to remind me of how busy things are going to be here, around here tomorrow. But it's hard to get motivated sometimes for all that you have to do. But even more so than that, the the thing that I deal with most is the motivation to make a difference. Now, let me explain that to you just for a moment. Oftentimes, we come to the house of God, and when we come to the house of God, our Father loves us enough not to leave us the way that he finds us, and he wants to change us. He wants us to be different when we leave here today than we were when we arrived. By the way, we don't thank God that he loves us that much to change us and to make a difference in our lives. But I don't know about you, but I get very comfortable with who I am and where I am. I get very content with the person that I am. I compare myself to the worst of the worst, and I say, you know what? I'm better than them, and I'm okay to leave here the same way that I came here. But the desire of God is we leave here today being different but oftentimes it's hard for me to be motivated to be made different because I get comfortable and content with who I am. Not only is it hard for me to make a difference in who I am, but God calls us as Christians and as the church of the living God, his representatives on planet earth, he calls us to go out into the world and to make a difference in the world that, he, that he's placed us in. You think about what he calls us in Matthew chapter 5. He calls us salt and light. Do you know what salt and light both do? They make a difference. Aren't you glad? I mean, thank the Lord for salt. Uh, there's been a few times I've, uh, I've had dinner at places and ate dinner with people, and if it wasn't for salt, it'd be a long evening. We'll just put it that way. I was over in Uganda several years ago, and we were eating at an orphanage, and the orphanage, all they had was this white mixture of maize corn is what they call it. They would cook it in a pot and just stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. up, And and then it would have water. It was just that white maize corn with water. And because we were the honored guests, they gave us a heaping helping of it. And they didn't have any salt. Matter of fact, Brother Timothy, your brother. Let me tell you what your brother did. We're sitting there, and I'm just trying to put this stuff down. It's, It's rough. It's like really bad oatmeal is what it tasted like. And I'm trying to put it down, and a few minutes later, Brother Timothy's brother walks around the corner, and his plate is empty. I says, how did you do that? He says, brother, you just do what you got to do. And I looked, and he come from eating around back of the building. He, we had this running joke now that he eats it out back. He went out back, and he poured it out. That's exactly what he did. That stuff was tough to eat. Why? There's no salt in it. But man, you get some salt in it. But salt makes a difference. And that's what God's called us to be in this world, salt and light. Light makes a difference. Boy, last night we were at that ball game, and they had these huge lights up around the, uh, the stadium there at Death Valley. And boy, it would have been a different game if they hadn't had lights. <laughs> that wouldn't have been quite as interesting to watch. But thank the Lord for lights. The lights shine down and make a difference in the stadium. You see, that's what salt and light do. They make a difference. And that's what God's called us to do. God's called us to be salt and light in this world and make a difference, but sometimes we find it hard to be motivated to make a difference in our own lives, and we find it difficult to be motivated to make a difference in the lives of others. There's one thing I'm sure about today. I don't know all of you. I don't know your habits. I don't know your needs, and I don't know all of your problems, but there's one thing I'm sure about every person in this room today is that God is calling all of us to make a difference. Today, God's calling every one of us. He's going to stir your heart to make a difference in your life. And then for those of us who are where we're supposed to be, and maybe you're right with God, he's going to call you, listen, to make a difference in the life of somebody else. The problem is oftentimes we're not very motivated. Sometimes God has to light a fire under us a little bit to get us motivated to be changed of ourselves or to go and help other people be changed. Yesterday at the game, I told you, you're going to hear a lot about it, okay? That was an amazing experience. It was an exciting experience. I want to tell you all about it throughout the message today. They brought the American flag in and the game ball as well through paratroopers. I mean, you talk about a grand entrance. They came in, paratroopers, the special force group came in with, you know, with, with smoke bombs on their heels. And they come in and brought the flag in. And then they brought the football in. And, uh, and then they brought a uh, POW MIA flag in. It was just amazing watching those guys jump out of that Black Hawk helicopter right in there into the stadium. It reminded me of a story once where uh, this paratrooper instructor was giving his students uh, lessons on what they needed to do out of their first jump. And they were a little bit nervous. They says, what did, you, what did you have to have to make your first jump? He says, two engines on fire and little fuel. That's what helped him jump out of the plane. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be very motivated to jump out of a plane. Miss Carney has. She told me that she's jumped out of a plane. Matter of fact, it's on YouTube, isn't it? We're going to have to go back. When you put it up on the screen. And your son as well. Yeah, I got to jump out of a plane. I told her I want to jump out of a plane at night. That way you can't see the ground. That's the scariest part is seeing the ground. I think I could jump out at night. It wouldn't be that big of a problem. But man, if you were to get me to jump out of a plane, I mean, you're going to have to have a couple of engines on fire. uh, And we're going to have to be low on fuel. I'm not going to be very motivated. Now, folks, look, if we're going to be made different, God desires to make a difference in our lives today. Don't look around the room and think about people that need this message. Let's look deep inside ourselves and realize we need this message. We need to be made different today. And then also on top of that, God wants to use us to make a difference. I believe in the life of Nehemiah and the testimony of Nehemiah in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we will find the motivation to make a difference. And that's the message this morning, the motivation to make a difference. So if you would look back at chapter number 1, and we're going to pick up in verse number 2. The Bible says, That Hananiah, one of my brethren, came. Here they come to see him at the castle. And the Bible says, Certain men of Judah, I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Here's Nehemiah. He's been in the palace. He's the king's cupbearer. And someone comes along from back home. And Nehemiah asks them about home. He asks them how things are doing back there. Now let me tell you, Nehemiah, you know the rest of the story, would go on to make a tremendous difference And the lives of the people that God had called him to. Nehemiah would go back to this city and bring a revival to this city. The walls would be rebuilt in 52 days. Oh, how God would use a motivated man. Now, what motivated him this morning? I believe there's three things in chapter chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the first one is right there in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. He asked them how things were in verse 3. They just give it to him straight. They said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction. Notice they didn't sugarcoat it. And reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. They give him a detailed report of how things are going. They said things are not going very well. But can I tell you what I believe the first thing that motivated Nehemiah to go and make a difference to the people that God had called him to? Number one, he had an overwhelming awareness. He had an overwhelming awareness. Now stick with me this morning. It would have been business as usual for Nehemiah had Nehemiah not been made detailedly aware of the situation that was on the ground back in Jerusalem. Now understand, they told him the truth. They did not sugarcoat it. And when he started bearing the burden of just how bad things were, it motivated him to go do something about it. Now can I tell you this morning why so often we do not allow God to make a difference in our life? Can I tell you why we are not motivated to go and make a difference in the lives of others? The problem is we do not like facing the facts of the truth of how things are. Nehemiah heard it straight. They says the city's in a reproach. The walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. You see, before a difference can be made in you and before you will make a difference in the lives of others, the first thing that has to happen is to see the need for the difference. That's our problem. We don't like to see the need. We don't like to look within and see where we're not right with God and we're not who we need to be. I was listening to the post game report on the way home last night. My wife was praying for me in the passenger seat. And uh, I was driving, c- trying to get home as quick as I uh, could, and following behind Brother Brent. Brother Brent's a good guy to draft behind. And just, sh- get all the way home, made it back from Baton Rouge in just about two hours. And I'm listening to the post-game report and listening to Coach O. And when you're listening to Coach O, you've got to listen real hard. If you've ever heard Coach O talk about the game. And one of the things Coach O said was, they looked up at the scoreboard at halftime, and it was tied. Well, that's not good. When the score is even, you're not winning. And he says, we realize, and I'm not going to say it the way he says it, because only he can say it the way that he says it. He says he realized at halftime they had to make some changes. They would score, we would score. They would score, we would score. And he looked up at the scoreboard, and the scoreboard said it all. Now, it would have been easy to ignore the scoreboard, but can you know what the scoreboard was? The scoreboard told the truth. The scoreboard says you're not winning. The scoreboard showed the facts for the way that they were. And when they saw the facts for the way they were, they went at halftime and they made some differences. They made some changes and they came out and they won the game. Here's our problem. We don't like looking at the scoreboard. We don't like seeing the score for the way it is. Matter of fact, we have this manufactured delusion of who we are and where we stand. You say, how could you do that? Folks, can I tell you, the church of Laodicea, the Bible says that's the mentality they had. And by the way, I believe we're living in that time. You look at that, that church, it describes the church in America today. We have this false manufactured delusion of who we are. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We don't know the score. We're not looking at the scoreboard. We don't want to see the truth this morning. Listen, there's not going to be a difference made, and there's not going to be a change made until we face the facts that we're not winning. We're not who we ought to be. Now, folks, understand this. This is what Peter dealt with when Christ told him that he was going to be tempted, that Satan desired to have him. It's easy to see in that passage of Scripture how Peter begins to brush Christ off. Jesus comes and says, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And Peter, real quickly, oh, no, 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 no. It's almost as Peter is saying, that's not going to happen. There's no way that that could be. Hey, I know, I know who I am, and I know what I can do. I know what I'm capable of. That's not going to happen. And Peter failed. Why? Because he wouldn't hear the truth. Christ tried to show him exactly what was coming, but he refused to look at the scoreboard. Now, folks, if we're going to be made different this morning, and we're going to go out and make a difference in the lives of others, we must have an overwhelming awareness of just what the score is. And realize if we're not what we think we are, let's get right. Let's make the difference this morning. We need to look at the world. Everything's not okay. I would love to get up here this morning and tell you the church is doing well. Listen, the score's great. We're winning, just like LSU beat Florida yesterday. I mean, we're just winning. They're running the score up, and, hey, we've got this thing in hand, but we don't. We're losing. You don't have to look on the news. You just walk down your street, and you can tell. The truth of the matter is, we're not getting the job done. Now, here's what's interesting. It doesn't feel good to hear the things Nehemiah heard in verse 3. You ever ask somebody how they're doing, and they really don't want to hear the answer? Guilty. You ever run somebody and you ask them how they're doing and they're all too ready to tell you the answer? Broke my leg. My dog died. had a flat tire. My house burned down. I didn't really want to know that. I was just doing the southern thing of saying, how are you? God bless you and bless your heart. You know? That's what we do here in south. We really don't want to know. We just, we just want. Folks, can I tell you? I think this morning, many of us, we don't really want to know the truth. We don't want to know where we stand. But notice they gave it to him straight in verse number three. This is where reproach, great affliction. The Bible says the walls are broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. Can I tell you something this morning that breaks my heart as a pastor? And I'm also going to confess to you the temptation is there as a pastor. What breaks my heart this morning is so many preachers are tempted to promote this disillusion because we don't want to hurt the countenances of people. It would have been easy for Nehemiah's counterparts to say, everything's going great. Looking good, Matt. We, we just built a new bank. Dollar General opened up down the street, you know. If they were still there, Dollar General would open up because they're opening up everywhere. Things going great. And Nehemiah would have felt good. But in order to get Nehemiah to feel good, they would have had to have lied to him. I feared this morning, look, and I'll tell you the temptation as a pastor, as a preacher is, anytime you see missing people to back off telling the truth, why? Because you know when people get their feelings hurt and their countenances get affected, that that results oftentimes in empty seats, and it's just easier to tell people what doesn't hurt their countenance, but here's the problem. You can't do that without lying to them. Got to tell the truth. People need to be aware of just what the score is this morning. We need to know where we stand. Listen, I didn't like preachers telling me that I was born a sinner. I was a good kid. I told you I was born, I was raised on Sesame Street in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I was a good kid. Preacher had the gall to tell me that I was a sinner. Can I tell you what that was? That was the score. For all have sinned. That's the score. By the way, all includes you too. That's the score. Now, doesn't it doesn't feel good, but you need to know the truth so that you can make a change and become what you could be through Christ. Amen. Nehemiah had an overwhelming awareness of what was going on. Now, folks, I hope you know by now, I've been here almost, I guess, five months. I try not to be mean. I don't go out of my way to be mean. I don't like being mean. I like making friends. So you went in the wrong profession. I didn't pick it. He called me, amen. By the way, you called me too. Just remember that. (laughs) If you didn't vote for me, then you okay, you got a gripe. But understand, folks, listen to me this morning. The temptation is to tell people what they want to hear so that it doesn't affect their countenance. Nehemiah's countenance was fallen. Look at it in chapter 2 and verse number 3. The king looks at him and says, something's wrong with you. He had sorrow of heart. The king said to me, or, and I, and I said, and said unto the king, verse 3, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? You see, the truth that he was told, it hurt his feelings. Look, I don't want to go out and hurt anybody's feelings, I promise you. I understand that. But I've got to tell you the truth. Why? Because when we have an overwhelming awareness of the way things are, that's when we come to the place where we can make a change. How can we be changed without the truth? The Bible said it's the truth that makes you free. Aren't you glad? I wonder why so many people are walking around today in chains. Because people are afraid to preach the truth because it affects people's countenances. Isaiah 58.1, the Bible says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice as a trumpet, listen close, and show my people their transgression. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice as a trumpet and show my people. Show them their transgression. Why? To rub it in their face? No. So that they can be made different. You got to have the truth. Nehemiah was overwhelmed by the truth of what was going on. Oftentimes we'll go out soul winning and boy, <clears throat> I tell you, Brother Jim, I want to tell people all about heaven. I do. Heaven's awesome. Heaven's one. I've never even been there. And I could, man, I'm, I'm ready to go. Not now, but. When he's ready. So, you, I, I can accommodate you, me and my four by four out in the parking lot. No. <clears throat> Boy, I'd love to tell people about heaven. Let me tell you about it, man. You want to go to heaven, and heaven's wonderful, heaven's great. There's no sickness, no death, no poison ivy, no garbage to take out. Itch. That's how you get a husband saved, right there. You just tell him there's no garbage to take out. Sold. But I'll tell you, the greatest motivator of heaven is the opposite it's hell. That's why we start in Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23 to show them there's none good. No, not one. No, not one. Quit lying to yourself. No, not one. Listen, let God be true and every man a liar. He says there's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says for all have sin. There we are again. There's all of us. And you sit there and you show them from the word of God that the wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, eternity in hell. That's not good news. That's that's not a great motivator. But I'll tell you what that does. It's an overwhelming awareness of just where they stand. And that's what motivates them to seek out the solution that they'll only find in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn there with me real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to look down I want you to see this for yourself I'll make a promise to you that as a pastor As your pastor I would try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit And not be mean unless I have to I will try to speak the truth in love But I want you to see something In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10 The Bible says this, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow. What is sorrow? That's a sad countenance. That's what Nehemiah had. Godly sorrow. He was broken for his city that was broken. And can I tell you the first thing Nehemiah did in chapter number 1? When he went back to Jerusalem, he prayed to God and he says, I and my father's house have sinned. You see, that sorrow from the truth that he was told began to work repentance in his life. Now, here's what's interesting I love the wording here in verse 10. The Bible says, For godly sorrow, listen close, worketh. Sorrow works. I don't like bringing sorrow. I don't like feeling sorrow. By the way, can I tell you, every time I stand to preach this, this sword cuts me up just as much as it cuts you up. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to cut us up. But the Bible says that sorrow works. Aren't you glad? God has something that works. It's called sorrow. It doesn't feel good. But the Bible says it works repentance. Watch Watch verse 10. To salvation. We have sorrow, we have repentance, and then we have salvation. Sorrow's not good, but salvation sure is. Aren't you glad? What is between sorrow and salvation? It's repentance. The sorrow brought that to be. Keep reading verse 10. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So often we are more sorry and sorrowful about what we're missing out on in the world than the sin that we carry around. The Bible says that work is death. Verse 11, this is amazing. The Bible says, look at the fruit, if you will, of repentance. For behold, he says, I want you to see something. Behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after, a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Notice the fruit of sorrow that led to repentance. Carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have reproved yourselves to be clear in this matter. But it began with the truth that brought sorrow. And sorrow brought repentance, and repentance brought salvation. And salvation brought all of these things in verse number 11. Can I tell you this morning, Nehemiah's proof that an overwhelming awareness of the truth will bring about motivation for revival. Problem is this, oftentimes we get comfortable in the palace. Nehemiah didn't really have to worry about those people back home because he had a good situation there in the palace. But Nehemiah cared enough to ask. Why? Because he wanted to know. Our problem is today, look, we're saved, we've got our fire insurance, heaven's our home, we're excited about that, and hey, we're not worried about anybody else because we're in a pretty good situation of ourselves. I believe it's what Jesus was speaking of in John chapter four, when the Bible says, lift up your eyes and look upon the fields. Notice those words, lift up your eyes and look. He says, you gotta look and pay attention to the score. The score's not good. The fields are wide unto harvest. He says, hey, we're behind here. The harvest is ready to be picked. It's ready to be harvested. And yet, I don't have labors for that because you're not willing to lift up your eyes and look. Look at the scoreboard. Nehemiah would go on to say, I've got to hurry. But Nehemiah would go on to say, the Bible says that the city's broken down their reproach. He sees all the damage that's taking place here because of sin. And after a while, he was overwhelmed by it. It doesn't take long for you to ride up and down the roads of Hattiesburg. And be overwhelmed by the need of our city for this church. Too many of us, we live in our gated communities and we live in our air-conditioned homes and we live in our comfortable positions of life. Look, nothing wrong with that. If God blessed you with it, glorify him for it. But we live in those areas cut off from lifting up our eyes to see the need that's all around us. I was very excited that this week our church was able to purchase a new bus to go out into the areas of need and bring people in that might hear the gospel, that they could hear the truth that works sorrow and sorrow, that works repentance and repentance that brings salvation. The problem is we don't want to see that because it inconveniences our life. Folks, we've got to be overwhelmed by the truth of where we are and where others are. Real quickly, a man by the name of Bob Kuchenberg, he was a player for the Miami Dolphins before my time. Some of you may know him or have heard of him or pulled through him. I don't know him. I just read about him in a story, okay? <clears throat> and the story goes like this. They ask him after he was in the NFL, you know, what made you go to college and all of this? He said it was simple. My dad was a human cannonball. My grandfather was a human cannonball. He said my dad came to me and he says college or cannonball? He said, it was pretty simple to me what I needed to do. He said, I'm going to college. He went to college and he played football, went on to the NFL. It was pretty simple to him. The options were clear, college or cannonball. Hey, there's a man with some sense right there. Now, folks, we need to see the lay of the land this morning. We need to understand, listen, the options are heaven or hell. That's it. Either you're right with God or you're not. And listen, why don't we have enough Christian courage today to ask God what the score is? Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Show me where I'm at today. I want an overwhelming awareness of what the score is in my life. That way I can be made different. The sad thing is many of us will leave here the same. If we truly, truly want to be motivated to make a difference, we need to ask God to show us. Number one, the overwhelming awareness. Now look down, if you will, to verse number four. <clears throat> we didn't read this verse, but let's pick up to it quickly. So Nehemiah tells him what's going on, and the king says, what do you want in verse 4 of chapter 2? <clears throat> and the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah is worried what the king's reaction is going to be. And he says in verse number 5, and I said unto the king, if it please the king and thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah unto the city of my father's sepulchers that I may build it. Nehemiah says, if, it does, if it's all right with you, I'd like to go back. i got to do something. You see, he was overwhelmed by the truth of the way things were. So the king decides to send him. Verse number seven, Nehemiah asked the king for something beautiful. Stick with me this morning, all right? Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. That word convey means assist. Nehemiah asked the king, would you write me some letters? Would you write me some letters that will assist me to get where I'm going? You see, he was asking the king to back this venture. Now, this is important this morning. Number two, I believe the reason that Nehemiah was motivated is because he had a royal reliance. He had a royal reliance. Can I ask you, how encouraging would it be for you to go do something like Nehemiah was doing, and knowing that in your pocket you held letters with the king's seal on them? You know, for me, if I was Nehemiah, this job would be overwhelming. For me, if I was Nehemiah, this job would be intimidating. But Nehemiah knew what he carried in his pocket was the authority of the throne, as Nehemiah went to do what he was motivated to do, he knew, listen close, he had full support of the king to do what he was going to do. Now let this sink in for a moment. I fear our lack of, uh, of motivation today reflects a dismal dependence upon self, listen close, a dismal dependence upon ourselves, rather than a royal reliance upon God. Nehemiah was motivated because he had the backing of the king. He had letters from the king that says he could go and do what he believed he was called to do. Now, folks, we go out to do the will of God, and so often we're acting like we called (laughs) ourselves. We're acting like we're the ones that are supposed to save people. We're acting like we're the ones who have to convict people and draw people. No, God says he'd do all of that. Listen, we have, we have a royal reliance this morning. We have the backing of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's back in our venture. No wonder Nehemiah was excited. He knew he had almighty God, listen, behind him, and he had the kingdoms on the throne behind him. I mean, who's going to get in his way? Nobody. David would speak of this when David says, he knew the Lord was on his side. What can man do unto me? Yesterday, I was at a gas station. There's a gas station in Baton Rouge that has good boudin balls. All right? Amen. It's good stuff. And, you know, I've got to get worried about eating gas station food, but I ate there when it flooded. We were down there working. I ate there, and it was really good. I told my wife, if I ever get back down there, I'm going to go get some. So I did. Went in there yesterday, and I ordered three of them. Man, those things are like goose eggs. They're just huge, and they're full of, I don't know what all that is, but it's good. It's on the inside of it. and was getting ready to leave. I looked down at the credit card swiper, and there in the credit card swiper, there was a debit card sitting there. The guy that was in front of me who, who had just left, his debit card was left in the machine. And so I remember what he looked like. I grabbed the debit card. I said, hey, hey man, you know, it's over here. And he come back. He says, thank you so much. He says, I probably could have left it because, you know, whoever got it, they wouldn't get very far with it. What was he saying? He said, there's not a lot in my account. You can take that and you can swipe it all you want, but you're not really going to get anything out of it because there's not much in there. I wasn't really worried about it. You know, sometimes we treat our relationship and our call of God that way. We go out there with very little motivation, acting like God's broke, like God's run out of power. Can I tell you, when you have the backing of the king, you just go swipe that debit card. Why? Because it's not going to bounce When God calls us to go, we go in his power. We go in the king's authority. No wonder he was motivated. Sometimes I believe we think it's up to ourselves to change ourselves. Aren't you glad it's God is the one that does the changing? Why did Bartimaeus cry out? I want you to think about a man who's blind. The Bible says he's just sitting there, by the way. He's not motivated. Why? Because he can't change himself. He cannot bring his sight back. He can't do that. But all of a sudden, he hears Jesus coming along, and now we see a motivated Bartimaeus. He's jumping up. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Man, this guy all of a sudden has found an inner motivation he didn't have. Why? Because now he has a royal reliance on the one who can get the job done. We see Jairus. We see the centurion. We see the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years. And they were seeking out Christ. Why? Why? because they knew they could rely on him to get the change done. Now, this morning, inevitably, there's some of us that are sitting here, and we're thinking, I can't change. You don't know my problems. My sin is too deep. My my stains are set in, and you don't know where I've been and what I've done. I want you to know. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse number 18, though our sins be a scarlet. Or sins be as scarlet. We're talking about deep dyed red. The Bible says they'll be white as snow. They'll be as crimson. They'll be as wool. The Bible says that's what God can do. Listen, you can sit there your whole life and try to scrub your sins away. It'll never happen. You're incapable. You need a royal reliance upon the only one who can get the job done. And that will motivate you to beat it down to an altar this morning and cry out to God that he'd wash those sins away just like he did when I was a kid. So glad to be able to turn to one who can get the job done. This morning, understand this, our motivation. And boy, let this sink in for a moment. Boy, you ever have something, you're preparing a Sunday school lesson, or you're preparing a message, or maybe just preparing to preach to your husband or your wife or your kids. And all of a sudden, what you're preparing to preach really hits home with you. It ought to to be that way. The Lord pointed out in my heart as I was preparing this morning that our motivation is a testimony of what we're trusting in. Our motivation is a testimony of what we're trusting in. Do you know why it's hard for me to go soul winning sometimes? Do you know why it's hard for me to pull out a gospel track sometimes? I mean, how hard is that to pull out a track and invite somebody to church? But sometimes it's so hard, isn't it? Because I'm looking for me to get the job done. I depress myself. I went to a bathroom yesterday in Baton Rouge. There was not a mirror at the vanity. I was thinking, I kind of like this. No mirror to depress yourself and I guess in the world we live in today, somebody got offended by what they saw in there, so they took the mirror down. Some of you that will sink in just a little bit later. Can I tell you this morning, listen, how motivated you are is a testimony of what you're trusting in. If you realize you had the backing of Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, listen, the one who created this entire earth, if you realize he's backing you up in this venture of the will of God, all of a sudden, man, your chest would swell out. You'd feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger, look, back in the 80s. I mean, you'd be ready to go. Why? Because you realize you've got the letters from the king backing you up. Getting ready to come preach just a moment ago. Took a few extra minutes there in the office and I'm praying and boy, you know, had a long night, you're kind of tired, you need a whole lot of grace. Well, what a blessing it was to know that what I held in my hand was not the words of Jeremiah Andrews, but I held letters from the king. And when I go to do the will of God, to stand behind the pulpit, to preach the word of God, I'm not going in the power of Jeremiah Andrews because Jeremiah Andrews will fail. But I've got the backing of the king. I've got letters from the king. I've got authority from the king, and the power's not in me. It's the one who stands behind me. Amen? Aren't you glad this morning we can have a royal reliance? Yesterday, we were standing there waiting. Brother Brent, Brother Heath did a spectacular job of giving me the grand tour of of LSU. And as we were were standing there waiting for the team to come down the hill They call it the Tiger Walk, and all these people gathered around, the bands play Something about a band's playing Boy, just get you all pumped up. We would to have a band up here. That's what we need, some bands. Get us pumped up before the preaching, amen? And uh, here they come down the hill, and I'm watching these people, and they're coming down the walk. I don't know who these people are. I don't know who any of these people are. But, man, they're walking down, waving to people. And I'm taking pictures of people. I don't, I'm having to ask, Brother Brent, who is this I'm taking a picture of? I know it's somebody important, but I don't know who they are. And then I looked, and around their neck was a lanyard. Around that lanyard was this little placard card that had VIP on it. Can I tell you something? I didn't know who they were, but they knew who they were. And you could tell it by the way they were walking. They come strutting down through their way. I didn't know who these guys were, but you could tell they knew who they were by the way that they walked. Can I tell you, when I go into an apartment complex or I go down a neighborhood or a gated community and knocking on doors, people see this little scrawny, big-eared guy walking down the street, hair falling out there in the back, and they don't know who I am. But by the grace of God, I ought to know who I am. The Bible says that I am an ambassador. That's what the Word of God says. I'm an ambassador for Almighty God. God. I'm out there taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world that's desperately in need of it, and they don't know. And sometimes we get intimidated because, you know, I'm just a nobody. Oh, no, the Bible says we're more than ambassadors. Romans chapter 8, the Bible says we're more than conquerors through God. That's who we are. Here's the problem, real quick. Here's the problem. The problem is we quit relying on the letters. We quit relying on the letters. He gave us these letters. We, this is the authority and power of the king. And he says, when you go, when you go, don't worry about anything. When you go, you carry these letters, and you go in the authority of these letters, and everything's going to be all right. The Bible says, if you'll keep reading real quickly in verse number 7, give it to the governors. Verse number 8, give it to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. You go on down, look at verse number nine. The Bible says the king sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. Can you imagine how Nehemiah must have felt? He's got a a debit card from the king saying, whatever you need at the lumber yard there, go tell Asaph to put it on my account. When you get ready to go over, if anybody tries to give you resistance, just point to the army that I'm going to send with you. Folks, can I tell you, if I was Nehemiah, I'd probably be like the guys at the tiger walk yesterday. Why? Because he was somebody because of who stood behind him. Ever since I was a teenage preacher, you know, young preachers were young and dumb and ignorant and have high hopes and desires of what we think God could do. And I can remember for years and years and years, I've been preaching revival. I believe God can send revival in America. Why? You say, I've had preachers, brother, I think we're past that place in America. What we're supposed to do, just kick this thing in cruise control? Sit home and eat beanie-winnies and just wait for the trumpet of God to sound? No, can I tell you why I believe that there could be revival in America? Because I've got letters from the king. And the letters from the king tell me that I serve a God that can and I serve a God that will if you'll just have some people that are willing to be made different and take the gospel out to a world that makes them different. But our problem is we forget who we are. Notice the Bible says in chapter two, he says in verse number six, or verse number seven, let letters be given me. God says, I've given you letters. Don't worry about, listen, don't worry about anything. I'm going to back you up in this venture. So he had a royal reliance. The last thing, look back up to verse 6. Probably the most pointed motivation. Verse 6, the Bible says, And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? The king says, Okay, look, I'll, I'll let you go, but I need you to let me know how long you're going to be gone. Kind of take a leave of absence. The Bible says, And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. I set him a time. One more motivator this morning, as I believe probably the most important, is Nehemiah would leave the palace to go back to Jerusalem. I believe what motivated him was he realized that this opportunity had a very limited time to do what he was going to do. Number three, I believe what ought to motivate us to make a difference this morning is realizing we have an abbreviated opportunity. It's an abbreviated opportunity. It's kind of like as a kid, you used to watch that movie Peter Pan. You watch that movie Peter Pan and Captain Hook, you know, he got his hand bit off by an alligator, you know. If he just had a tiger with him, the tiger could have beat the alligator, but that's another story. That tiger had, that, that, that alligator had this clock ticking on the inside of him. Old Captain Hook be going about his business, you know, fighting Peter Pan, and all of a sudden he would hear, tick, tock, tick, tock, tick. Changed everything. All of a sudden, old Captain Hook's looking around. He's acting different. He's thinking different. Why? Because here's the clock. He realized that clock is a crock. Now, Folks, I want you to know this morning as a child of God, this venture that God's called us to be on is an abbreviated opportunity. We don't have as long as we think we do. We don't have as much time as we think we do to wait and make the difference in ourselves. Look, if God wants to make a difference in your life this morning, you have less time than you think you do. The opportunity is not always going to be there. It's much more abbreviated than you realize. The Bible tells us about the rich man who died and went to hell. And the Bible says that as God spoke to him as he's in hell, he asked him this. He says, remember Remember, when you, listen, you fared sumptuously and you had everything that you would ever need. Can I tell you what he's reminding him of? His opportunities. You had opportunities. You had the opportunities that Lazarus had, and yet you passed on the opportunity. It was an abbreviated opportunity. The Bible says this life is but a vapor. Hasn't it been good to have some cooler weather? I went outside this morning to study with a hoodie on. I didn't have to take it off. I mean, it was, it was quite nice. I had to go buy a hoodie before the ball game last night. Can I tell you, that breath you breathe and all of a sudden it's gone, the Bible says every time you see one of those, you need to think about that. That's what your life's like. It's a vapor that appears and vanishes away. If you're going to make a difference in yourself, you better do it before the opportunity passes. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that now is the accepted time. Behold, now, listen, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. If you're lost, the Holy Spirit of God, through the truth of God's word, lets you know today that you're lost. Listen to me. The opportunity for you to make the change is abbreviated. There's a set time that you have to do the opportunity that's been set before you. I love the story of Philip in the Bible where the Holy Spirit of God led Philip to go over to the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. Remember that? I never thought about it this way until this morning, but Philip was chasing a moving target. He was chasing a moving target. Can I tell you, as the church, listen, this world is moving closer and closer to hell, and we're chasing a moving target. We don't have time to be stationary and not be changed of ourselves and not take the gospel to them that they could be changed. Why? Because the opportunity is abbreviated. Well, the saddest stories I have ever read Took place. As a matter of fact, we just kind of hit the anniversary mark of that. October the eighth, eighteen seventy one. October the eighth, eighteen seventy one. D.L. Moody was preaching in his church in Chicago, and as his schedule was busy, he was always preaching, always going. He decided that night that he would not give an invitation. October the eighth, eighteen seventy one. He preached and he preached and had a lot going on. So he said, I, "You know, next Sunday we'll give a grand invitation. All these can come to Christ and." The night of October the 8th, 1871 was when the great Chicago fire would break out and burn through Chicago. Many of the people that sat in that service on that night would walk out never to return, would lose their life in the great Chicago fire. old Moody would say this in his own testimony, it was the greatest mistake of my life. He says, as God is my witness, I'd give my right arm to have that opportunity back, but he would never get it back because the opportunity was abbreviated. Can I tell you something this morning? What ought to motivate you to be made different today and to go make a difference in the life of somebody else today is the fact that the opportunity is now and the opportunity is abbreviated. You may not have tomorrow to tell your neighbor about Christ. You may not have tomorrow to, to, to witness to mom and dad one more time. You may not have tomorrow to get right with God. Listen, it could be your October the 8th, 1871 today, and it would be the last time you ever walk out of this building. Folks, we ought to be motivated to be changed this morning. The sad thing is we are going to wait to be motivated when the God lights that fire under us. We're going to wait to be motivated like the rich man until it's too late. When God gives us an opportunity today to be made different. God wants to make a difference in our life today. God wants to use you to make a difference in somebody else's life today. But what's it going to take to motivate us? Well, for Nehemiah, it was simply this. It was an overwhelming awareness. He says, I see the score. It's not well. I need to, I need, I need to go do something. He had a royal reliance. He trusted the king who had given him all the authority and all the power and all the resources he needed, and then he realized that he needed to be motivated because the clock was ticking. Now this morning, what kind of difference does God want to make in your life today? What kind of difference? I don't know what it is. I'm glad I don't know, but the Holy Spirit of God knows, and he's going to let you know. So if God wants to make a difference in your life today, I pray you be motivated that you allow God to make the difference in your life. If you're here today and you're where you need to be, maybe this morning there's others that are about you in your life who need to be different, and will only be different through the truth of God's word and somebody who will, who's willing to love them enough to take it to them. Why don't you let God make a difference in you and then why don't you let God use you to make a difference in the life of somebody else today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. <clears throat> our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.